Very good evening to you all. Let's pray. Jesus says, whoever has ears, let him hear. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us two ears, so we pray this evening that you'll help us to use them and listen to you. May you speak to us and may you plant your word and truth deep in our hearts. Let it grow and produce fruit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Picture the uh, scene from today's reading. Jesus was a rising star, wasn't he, in Judea. People would travel miles around just to get to hear him. Maybe they would come and see a miracle. Anyway, here they have a huge crowd had gathered, so much so that Jesus has to speak out from a boat so that everyone could hear him. All were eager to get a glimpse of this man from Nazareth, who they had heard so much about. Who knew what he might do next? Well, as the crowd huddled on the shore, maybe there was anticipation filled the air. Suddenly a hush comes across the crowd. What would Jesus say or do? Well, he begins to tell a story. So it goes along the lines of, Once upon a time, there was a farmer who planted some seeds. Some grew, some didn't. Some grew but died. Others got choked in the thorns. The end. What's going on? That's pretty obvious on one hand, isn't it? That's natural, happens in agricultural life. That's nice and simple. And then in verse 9, He says, whoever has ears, let him hear. Basically, do you guys have any idea what I have just said? It's interesting, this parable, isn't it? It's one of the easiest stories to hear, yet it's perhaps one of the hardest to understand. In fact, if you had been there only up until verse 9, we probably have no idea really of what Jesus is illustrating here. In a way, they're almost like riddles, weren't they, some of these parables? It seems only those humble enough to come to Jesus would be given insight to what they meant. It seems that he deliberately concealed the truth from them, didn't he? And it was only those that came later to the house that were humble enough to learn from Jesus, to sit at his feet, to listen in humility. Well, in the section that we skipped, because the disciples, we see that they were a bit confused as well, weren't they? If you look at verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? They are seeking more understanding. And Jesus essentially says, because I want people to listen, to see, and to think. And it's always annoying, isn't it, when... uh, Perhaps a non-Christian friend might come up to you and they says, oh, well, you believe uh, because you know, you're just following whatever you've been upbringing in or it's just a bit of blind faith for you. It's if somehow, as a Christian, we haven't given any thought to what and why we believe. Of course, it's the complete opposite of what Jesus tells us here. God has given us brains to use and think Well, then what are we to think about this parable then? 
Well, this evening there's some uh, key principles that we can take away. And the first one is this, the kingdom of God comes through hearing the word. In fact, this whole section in the Gospel of Matthews, right from chapter 11 through to verse, sorry, chapter 14, is essentially a whole teaching block really about the kingdom of God. And here Jesus is explaining that the kingdom of God arrives by the hearing of the word of God. Matthews is teaching us what to expect when we obey Jesus' commands and to go and make disciples of all nations. But when you think about it, it's quite unusual, isn't it? It's not quite, it's very unusual, in fact. Most earthly kingdoms come through force, don't they? Whether that's aggressive or passively. And even democracies were there, almost like a coercion of the minority, so the majority against the minority. Yet the kingdom of God comes through listening. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And even more remarkable is that this kingdom comes gently like a tiny, weak seed. It's a crazy sort of upside-down message. Many of his, his hearers were perhaps expecting something big and obvious to happen. For a new king, maybe, to overthrow Herod, a new priestly order. Yet none of that was happening, not in the way they thought. Jesus was keen to open their eyes and their ears so they can see and hear what God was actually doing. See, Jesus wants to under, us to understand that truth too, to reveal the mystery of his kingdom, that it was going to triumph through loving obedience, not through force. And that whilst the kingdoms of this earth will pass away, his kingdom will remain forever. But then there's a warning, isn't it, through this parable, and this is the other principle, is that not everyone will embrace that kingdom, do they? Because the proportions of this parable are quite staggering, aren't they? Only one in four accept the message of the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, we see from, right, if you look forward to the very next chapter, uh, chapter 14, the people of Nazareth refuse to believe Jesus. And it's a reminder to us too that people will respond to the gospel message differently for their response is based on what is in their hearts. I have to say I found this a great encouragement, uh, particularly over this last week, because sometimes we get disheartened, can't we, when you know, the gospel message is rejected or when we put in so much effort to produce so little harvest. Um, you just think of examples, you know, we have a carol service at work and lots of people come to that and you advertise, say, the Christianity Explore course and you might get five people respond and then on the day it starts you get four people drop, drop out and you think, oh, is it, is, it, is, it all, is it worth it? And of course there's also too a danger, isn't it, that we can go back to the drawing board and think, oh, should we change the message? make it a bit more appealing, perhaps. But of course, the message isn't the problem, is it? It's the heart that's the problem. 
And this parable is also a reminder for us to be patient. We should never be discouraged when nothing seems to be happening either. Uh, if there are any gardeners here, you know that seeds grow at different rates, don't they? Even if it's the same seed. Uh, I remember planting some dahlia tubers earlier in the year. And it was a bit disappointing, really, because at first, when they did appear, and the slugs came and ate all the leaves, and you're like, oh. Um, and almost sort of give, given up. But eventually, they sprang back to life again, and they produced new leaves and shoots. I just had to be patient. So then, if the kingdom of God comes through hearing the word, it follows then that we need to be careful how we hear it. For how we listen to God matters. Our salvation depends on it, doesn't it? I wonder how we might practically prepare to hear the word of God. Uh, I came across a list of, uh, there was 10 helpful recommendations. They were just his opinions from the uh, American Baptist preacher, John Piper, on how we can prepare for hearing the word of God on Sundays. I won't go through all 10, but I'll share with you five of them that certainly challenged me. So here's the first one. It says, do we set aside time before we go to bed Saturday night and again on Sunday morning to pray and meditate on the word of God with a view to stirring up hunger for God? How about the next one? Do we purify our minds by turning away from worldly entertainment? Piper goes on to say, this is what makes the word unreceivable. It astonishes me how many Christians watch the same banal, empty, silly, trivial, titillating, suggestive, immodest TV shows that most unbelievers watch and then wonder why their spiritual lives are weak and their worship experience is shallow with no intensity. It says, if you really want to hear the word of God, the way he means to be heard in truth and joy, turn off the television on Saturday night and read something true and great and honorable and worthy of praise. And then watch your heart unshrivel and begin to hunger for the word of God. And then thirdly, get a good night's rest on Saturday night. Saturday night is not the night for staying out late with friends. Take heed how you hear means get a good night's rest before you hear the word of God. Come in a spirit of meek teachability. James 1 says, in meekness receive the implanted word. If we humble ourselves before the word of God, we will hear and grow and bear fruit. And here's the last one. Be still as we enter church and focus your mind's attention and heart's affection on God. In Piper's opinion, we should arrive on the lookout for God and leave on the lookout for people. That is, come quietly and go hard after God in prayer and meditation and then leave with a risk to taking risks as you extend your welcome and love to other people. Challenging, aren't they? I did say he was a Baptist, didn't I, at the start, so maybe that's why. But anyway, but, but how much do we desire 
to hear the, God's word. For what kind of soil will the seed rest on when you hear God's word? But the important truth here is that when the gospel message is preached and communicated, nothing never happens. There's no neutral response. We all respond in some way. And the question is just how? Will it be like the hard path that Jesus describes, doesn't he, in verse, I've got to write this down, verse 20. Perhaps there's mental laziness or there's simple arrogance on our part, thinking that we know everything. Oh, the parable, it could be like that today, isn't it? Like the parable of the sower. Oh, I know that parable. I've heard it hundreds of times. Or will it be like the rocky soil where, uh, is it, where? that's verse 20, isn't it? It refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. Or is it like the thorny ground where the Christian life is choked? Or will it be like the good soil where the word of God produces fruit? Now, I'm conscious there's different ways, isn't there, to interpret this parable sometimes. But the more I've thought about this, that there is one way, uh, certainly true when I, for me anyways, that in a way all four kinds of those soils are in our hearts. Put it another way, going back to my garden again. At the start of the season, I filled up a bed of good, you know, it was a good uh, compost, lovely clean. But it didn't stop the weeds coming up later uh, in the year. But the interesting thing is, is that despite there being weeds, it didn't stop the tomato plants from growing and producing fruit. You see, there is a difference isn't there? For while stones and thorns and weeds may be found in the good soil of a believer's heart, it doesn't prevent us from bearing fruit. We will still sin. We will still get caught up in the world. But that doesn't prevent us from producing fruit for Christ. And of course, there's another amazing truth here that we shouldn't ignore. And that is the farmer is generous with the seed, isn't it? He scattered it everywhere. I discovered when I was preparing for this that uh, the original use of the word broadcast was actually an agricultural term. Does anyone know that? And it kind of makes sense, actually, doesn't it? Broadcasting the seed. It was only in the 1920s when uh, the word took on a new meaning and we talk about radio networks scattering their programs widely. But anyway, the point is the farmer gives every kind of soil a chance to produce life. See, when our garden, we tend to think, ah, this patch of soil over here is good. I'm going to plant my seed over here. But that's not so with the farmer in this story. 
He sows and likewise God continues to spread the seed. He extends his grace to everyone. That's God's method. Widespread broadcast. And this is how the kingdom grows. Even though he knows some will reject it, he gives it to them anyway. It says something of the amazing grace and love and patience of God, doesn't it? God knows it is probably foolish to spread seed on unworthy soil, but he does it anyway. Even when God knows that the word will not take root in a person's life, he still gives an opportunity to hear and respond. To Peter, it says, the Lord will not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And think about the disciples, especially thinking of like Peter and Judas, for it seems that time and time again, they had hard hearts, dim minds, but Jesus continued to throw seed at them. He continued to work with them and help them see what God was doing in the world. Jesus was willing to scatter the seed of the gospel, even when it is clear that the disciples didn't, don't just get it. Even when they deny Jesus and abandon him in his hour of need, Jesus continues to pour out his love on them, inviting them back into the fold after the resurrection. And the good news is Jesus continues to throw seed at us, doesn't he? He pours out his love upon us. And when he even finds the smallest patch of good soil in our hearts, he nurtures it to produce an abundant harvest, he says. 30, 60, even 100-fold. And of course, whilst Jesus was the original sower, we could also say that the sower is actually anybody who shares the gospel. That includes you and me. And if so, we too are called to sow the seed to everyone, everywhere. Our job is not to judge or self-censure whether a person will receive it or resist it. We don't know where the good soil is, but it's there. We just need to keep on broadcasting the gospel and leave the results to God. And the more seed that is thrown, the more likely it is to hit the good soil. I was thinking about, again, that word broadcasting. When you think about the radio broadcasters, I know whoever, Nick Robinson or whoever you listen to, they probably don't know how people are reacting at home to their radio. Maybe they're listening intently, making notes, or maybe they're not listening at all and getting their dinner ready. Either way, they continue doing their job, presenting the news or whatever programme it is. But here's a question. How can we be good soil? How can we prepare ourselves so that the seed God plants in us takes root and grows? Do we get it by being good? Do we get it by removing the rocks underneath or by pulling out the weeds in our life? Uh, the problem with weeds, though, is that we can never be sure if we've gone deep enough, has it? We, we kind of 
if you try and dig a weed out, you only got the top bit, the root is still there. See, the truth is we can never remove all the rocks. We can never pull out enough weeds. Because that's not the soil's job, is it? That's the gardener's job. Our job is to go back to the word and listen. Jesus will take care of those weeds and thorns. In fact, we're told just before his crucifixion that he ended up wearing thorns in his crown. And those rocks, or wasn't he buried beneath one? It's interesting, isn't it? The Gospel of uh, John, which doesn't include this parable, the other Gospels, Mark and Luke, do. But this truth is still there in John's Gospel. As Jesus turns towards Jerusalem and the cross, he tells the disciples about his death and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. See, the power of the gospel is the seed planted in the ground. Jesus is not only the sower and the gardener, but he's also God's seed, isn't he? And the fruit we need grows out of his grave. You kind of think, can a seed really be that powerful? There's a story of um, someone visiting a a graveyard in Italy and uh, in the the cemetery. And there's an enormous granite slab on top of a grave. But apparently an acorn seed must have got in somewhere between the ground. And out of that acorn, tiny acorn, it kind of split this granite slab between the two pieces. There stood this oak tree. Is a seed really that powerful? A seed is so weak you can crush it. And that's what the devil, Satan, thought he did to Jesus on the cross. But in his death, Jesus wasn't a crushed seed, was he? He was a planted seed. He fell into the earth and died. And three days later, his power was released. There's a quote from Tim Keller. He points out, if Jesus had came with a sword, he would cut us to pieces. If he came with fire, he'd burn us to ashes. So he came as a seed to be planted for us. That's the secret of the kingdom. See, when you see that, then something happens deep inside. If our hearts are stone. Will be, can be cracked open to Jesus. And once inside, he allows that word to grow and grow. It's the power of the seed, the power of God, the power of the sower to transform the soul of our hearts. So let me conclude with this. We're all born into sin and separated from God. But the wonderful truth is that God's seed is more powerful than our unbelief. God is able to break 
those hard granite slabs of our hearts. And it started way before today. It started in eternity past. That's the kind of God we have, the one who loves us enough to break us, who dies to save us, who rises to give us life. If we don't listen to that message, then what will we listen to? Let's pray.